Okay. Good morning again. <laughs> we are going to start a new sermon series. I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but um, probably at least a month, a little more, um, probably to the end of o- October. We're going to start a new sermon series, and Bree and I are calling it The Way of Jesus. It'll probably mostly be Bree and I every other week, but um, one of the guys may may pop in there. Uh, but we're calling it The Way of Jesus, and uh, we'll be talking about the character of Jesus and how we, as followers of him, must follow in his ways. Follow in his ways. And also the early church was called the way, so it seemed like a good double meaning appropriate, and you can read more about that in the book of Acts. So today we're going to begin uh, by talking about sacrifice. Um, That's something that's been on my heart a lot lately, and um, so it was fitting when we decided to start doing this series. I'm like, okay, I'm going to... This will still fit in. And so we're going to talk about sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. And um, I'm going to begin the sermon talk today actually with a video from the Bible Project. And you've heard Bree talk a lot about the Bible Project. So we're going to see how this all works out, and then I will go on. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. The biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. 
In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant, and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people, and his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to his sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in this world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is this sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Hi, this is Tim. And this is John. We believe the Bible is telling one overall... Does it move it on? There we go. Okay.
thought that that was a good video and just talking about Christ's sacrifice and why he needed to sacrifice for us. And um, so Jesus paid the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sins on the Roman cross. He laid his life down and took our sin upon himself so that we can live and live in relationship with him and the Father, Holy Spirit. In John ten eleven, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that is what he did. And then on in verse 17 to 18, he says, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So King Jesus humbled himself and came to earth as a servant. He chose to sacrifice everything for us. Um, in Mark ten forty three to 45, the disciples were talking about who is the greatest. And Jesus said, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And while he was on earth, he modeled a life of sacrifice for his followers. He showed love and took time with those in need. He did not have a house, but constantly traveled, staying in homes of followers and possibly tents during his ministry. He did not have a steady trade job for income. He had to rely on the Father and others. He was constantly bombarded by people. He never married. He did not seek credit or honor for the miracles he performed, often commanding people not to tell who healed them. He sacrificed fame and honor and sleep and much more. He left everything to follow the Father, and he asked his followers to leave everything to follow him. Mark eight thirty four to 36 this is Jesus calling the crowd along with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it for what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Matthew ten thirty eight to 39. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus told his followers that they must sacrifice their lives or they were not worthy of him. That if they lay down their life for him, then they will gain life. Sacrificing everything is actually gaining everything. Mark ten seventeen to 22. Um, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him 
and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. This man kept all the commandments. And that's pretty impressive. He wanted to follow Jesus, but when it came to sacrifice, he couldn't give up what he had. Mark twelve forty one to 44. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he, Jesus, watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Are we just giving out of our surplus, or is it costing us something? Are we sacrificing? If it doesn't cost me something, is it a sacrifice? I've been thinking about this a lot lately and about giving out a surplus and what it costs me. What am I sacrificing? Do I only, um, yeah, do I only give out of my surplus? And how about you? I don't have this all figured out. And I think that living in our American culture makes it hard to really understand sacrifice, as many of our sisters and brothers around the world do. Um, But we'll try. Sharing our extras and unwanted items with one another and the community during all things in common is good. Uh, You could sell those items, but instead you chose to give. But did it really cost you anything? Are we just cleaning out, cleaning house, and get rid of the things that we really don't want. It's still just our extras. Is it costing us anything? So we need to continue to give on a personal basis. So some examples. So I see that Josie has a need. Let's say she needs groceries. She's provided for me before when I've needed groceries. So let's say that she has a need. She needs groceries. So I give her some money for groceries. That is extra money that I have. So it's not really costing me anything. Just less money for savings or extra fun things. Very little sacrifice. Now, what if I don't have extra money? I live paycheck to paycheck or I'm on a fixed income. Can I still help Josie? Yes, I can. I can give her money from my grocery budget. What if I share some of the food that I purchased and it means less food for me? What if I have to eat inexpensive foods like spaghetti or SpaghettiOs, grilled cheese, um, that week so that Josie can have food? Or I don't go do some extra things that I would have so that I have money to give. Um, We can get creative, and if we absolutely have nothing to give, we still have prayers and words of encouragement. It may sound like the poor sacrifice at all. And isn't that what Jesus is saying? Blessed was this widow who gave all she had. Blessed is the poor. And Jesus says that over and over again in the New Testament. That's the kingdom of heaven, laying our lives down and giving all that we have.
1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us, and we should, lay, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. How does God's love reside in us? Action and in truth. If I see someone in need of a coat, and I have two coats, even if I like them both, I am to sacrifice and give them my coat. What if two people need a coat, and I give both my coats away? Now I have no coat. I have to wear my live, laugh, nap sweatshirt to keep myself warm. Can you do that? Can I do that? Can I sacrifice that? In America, it's hard. We can go to the thrift store and get another coat for a few dollars. Um, So all that may have cost me is the cost of my coats and giving up what I liked. But giving up what I like is part of the sacrifice too. And if I don't have the money to even go and get a coat, I can layer up my sweatshirts and it's okay. You know, we we can make it work. We can sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 16. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. This is following Jesus. We need to adjust our life so that we can sacrifice. What are my buying habits? Am I buying things that I don't really need? What could I do with that money if I lived a simple life? How many people could I help? Does my buying of cheap goods from other countries contribute to sweatshops and the slave trade? Can I sacrifice my wants for cheap goods and buy less, buy secondhand, buy local or do without? I'm just trying to get us thinking here about how our sacrifices can affect people around the world as well as those close to us. Philippians 2, 4-11. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Adopting the same servant attitude as Christ Jesus. Do I have myself so busy that I don't have time to be a servant? Or I don't have time to grow in the Lord? Can I lay that down? Can I lay down extra activities, screen time, hobbies, multiple vacations and adventures to have time to help my one another's? to have time to rest with my Lord and worship him. Romans 12:1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. A living sacrifice is our true worship. We sacrifice our sinful desires We sacrifice 
our desires. Not all desires are sinful, but we sacrifice our desires. We sacrifice our sinful desires. We deny ourselves what our sinful nature wants to do. Denying ourselves should be normal for us as Christians. And in regard to our sinful nature, um, the Gospels say to, you know, Jesus said, if our right hand causes us to sin, cut it off. And if our eye causes us to sin, gouge it out. Put it away, cast it off, sacrifice it. Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is what we're to do. Crucify those passions and desires. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead is our goal to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do we lay down our lives, or do we just say that we will with passion and good intention, but then never actually do it? In John 13, 36 to 38, uh, Peter says, Lord, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Simon Peter, one of Jesus's closest disciples, so full of love for his Lord that he said that he would lay down his life for him, that he would die for Jesus And yet he went on to deny Jesus three times because he was scared. Are we afraid to be a living sacrifice for Christ? To lay down our stuff and our pleasure for him and one another. Are we afraid that we will be without and uncomfortable? What if we are? Can can you praise God in those circumstances and trust him? Or will you be resentful and fearful? Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. He'll take care of us. John 15, 12 to 13. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. Are we willing to lay down our life for others? And I haven't even spoken about death yet. In other countries, our brothers and sisters are dying for each other. Christians are being killed for following Christ. And how do the persecutors know that they're Christians? By the confession of their mouth 
and they are living out the way of Jesus. They are laying down their lives so that others will know the love of God and his saving grace. Sounds petty for us to talk about giving up some time on Facebook or a coat in light of people dying for one another. This isn't a eat your food, there's starving children in Africa that would love to eat that sermon. But we need to think deeper on this. The greater sacrifice brings greater blessing in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The greater sacrifice brings greater blessing in the kingdom of God now and for eternity. To share in the Lord's suffering, we find true life as we sacrifice. This is not an exhaustive sermon on sacrifice, and it's, but it's meant to get our wheels turning, thinking deeper about the ways of Jesus. I hope that I'm not watering down what the scriptures say about sacrifice. I don't fully understand it myself, and in some ways feel a little privileged to be talking about sacrifice. Um, but we need to have the conversation and take some steps. We need to check our posture. Our whole life in America is spent trying to avoid pain and hardships, to try to reach that life of ease. But we are to give that all up for Christ. Following him is not an easy life. When Jesus told some of these things to his followers, some of them turned away because the teaching was hard. Like the rich man who came to see Jesus. He could have followed the creator of the universe there in flesh. And he went away because the teaching was hard and he needed to sacrifice. The teachings of Jesus are countercultural. They go against what society tells us. You have a right. Jesus says, lay down your rights. You do you. Jesus says, you are no longer your own. That our life is hidden in him. Lay down our life. We are all called to sacrifice. Not just some. And it may look different for each of us. The situations may be different. But the heart posture is still the same. Laying down our life as a living sacrifice to God. By laying it down for one another. This is not a guilt thing this morning. Some things we cannot do. For example, you see the need for foster parents, but you're not able to be a foster parent for one reason or another. Can you support other parents who are? Can you support a single parent, a pregnancy resource center, or maybe something completely different? So this isn't, this isn't a guilt thing and like, oh, I've got to, I see this need, I see this need, and then you're like stretched too thin and you can't really give to anything because we can't all give to everything. None of us can sacrifice for all the things there are so, so many charities and people in need out there that I would like to give to or to help, and I can't give them to them all. But I can sacrifice to help these, and you can sacrifice to help those, and you can sacrifice to help those. And together, we can live a life of sacrifice, fulfilling what Jesus has called us to by laying down our lives for one another and helping with the needs of others. And this is what will make a difference in the world. Sacrifice. Not better politicians and more or less government policies. Sacrifice. I listened to... I'm going to take a drink of water quick first. I 
shifting a little bit of gears on society and sacrifice. I listen to a pastor from Australia. His name is Mark Sayers. Um, he always has great insight on history, the church, and culture. I thought it was so timely that on a recent podcast, he spoke about sacrifice and the necessity of sacrifice if you want to build or sustain anything. So for any church organization or civilization, they go through these generational stages. Sacrifice. So the first generation builds it. So nothing is built without sacrifice. So if you think about... um, this way. Um, recently, I was going through some files in there, and I found a file that had uh, had writings from Willard and Millie. And if you don't know Willard and Millie, they're um, they're uh, the founding. You know, Willard was the founding pastor of Cold Springs, and he found our church. You know, at our building out on Twin Lakes Road. So Willard and Millie um, lived in Fairview, Michigan. You know. This was very rural and undeveloped, this area. They felt the Lord calling them over to the Mancelona area, to that area on Twin Lakes Road, to um, do a Bible school and eventually to plant a church. That took a lot of sacrifice to do that. They, for a while, they were driving all the way over from Fairview um, to to do that. Um, You know, I read in their notes about the treasurer taking off with the funds, with the money. Um, you know, Willard worked all day, and then he was uh, visiting people every evening of the week, doing his sermons on Saturday, and then preaching on Sunday, and then preaching on Sunday. You know, then they'd have a Sunday evening service. So all the sacrifice that it took um, to start this new church, the first generation, is sacrifice. And you may also think about like immigrants that come to um, a country. You know, usually they, they're sacrificing. They're working hard and they're sacrificing so that their children might have it a little bit easier. Maybe we'll go to college and things. And the same with like a civilization. Um, Mark Sayers had referred to like the Roman civilization and all that, you know, like it took sacrifice and hard work as they were spreading out and as they were building, I mean, obviously they were oppressing and taking over other nations too, but it took like sacrifice and they were building like these huge buildings that were like an architectural wonder that generations after, you know, didn't even know how to, to, to do that. Um, cause it became lost. So that's what the first generation does. The second generation the second generation maintains it, um, services it. So maybe let's think about in the way of our church. So Willard and Millie sacrificed and they built it. And the second generation would have been Brent and his siblings were like the second generation. They were maintaining it. They were servicing it. They knew the sacrifice of the first generation. They were stewarding it. They were taking care of it and um, carried it on in the immigrant you know, um, example, their children may have went to college and they understood the sacrifice of their parents and they appreciated that. The third generation assumes it and that comes in, can come in some entitlement. So um, the third generation thinks that this is the way, assumes this is the way it's always been. You know, grandma and grandpa may may talk about things at holiday dinners. They know they kind of sacrificed when they came to this country that it was a sacrifice. But for them, it's always been this way. You know, my parents went to college. We have a good life. It's always, you know, always been this way. 
Um, and so in some ways, our pastorship right now, we're like the third generation, but I don't feel that we're in an entitlement assuming place. I feel like it is, a, we're in a time of sacrifice again, which I think is a blessing as all of us are working and we're learning and we, you know, we didn't go to college for this and, you know, it's, it is a time of sacrifice, which I think is a great blessing for us, for all of us. But that um, comes in and you can see that also in our culture. And this is where things kind of start to break down when you think about cultures. The fourth generation neglects it. Um, corruption can come in. Um, the fourth generation, they forget about the sacrifice that was made for building, for building um, a culture, maybe for building a church or organization and society, um, civilization. And bureaucracy, bureaucracy comes in, um, making more more rules, less rules, um, you know, um, instead of hardships come along and instead of sacrificing and doing without, um, I'm not a complete knowing everything about history, but in my, my view of something, I always see it as like during the, the world wars, how countries they they did without you know you got your your rations of butter and whatever and you had your tire drives and women didn't wear full nylons they went down to like socks because they needed the nylons to make things people sacrifice for the war effort when we come across hard things now are we sacrificing as a society or are we just getting stimulus you know what i mean it checks I mean, I bought a dog with my stimulus check. It's nice to have some money. But you know what I'm saying? Like, in order for our civilization to, to be held up, you know, if you want change in your, your country, in the world, we have to sacrifice. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise, things are neglected if we, we don't sacrifice. And the fifth generation buries it. And it's grief, and the thing comes to an end. Um, and so this is, I'm just, I debated on sharing this with you today or not as we, as I was up here going through it. But I just feel like it's important to just kind of see how things can fall apart if we don't sacrifice. And that's in our life, too. If we don't just, even on an individual basis, if we're not sacrificing. And here together, if we're not sacrificing for one another, if as a church, as a culture, if we're just getting to our assumant phase, third generation, and we're just a bunch of fat Christians, wally Christians sitting around, you know, like we, we have to sacrifice. We have to keep doing that to be healthy and growing in the Lord, that sacrifice. We have to keep giving. So the three postures that we need to build anything and to keep things going to sustain is commitment, which is the opposite of entitlement. Commitment has to come from that spiritual place within us. Sacrifice. We can't build anything without sacrifice. And this flows from the cross, just as we talked about this morning. Laying our lives down as Christ laid his life down for us. And perseverance, which comes against what uh, we do and it doesn't feel good. We've got to push through and uh, keep on. So... um, can we as the church sacrifice for those around us? And in this way, the world will see the love of Jesus through us. We need to sacrifice our pride, 
humble ourselves, give up our rights to everything, and serve others. It's not comfortable and it's not easy, but we consider it a great joy to be a living sacrifice to God. This is our true worship. This is the way of Jesus. So, a few reflection things for you this week. Pray. Meditate on the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Are you following Christ's example of sacrifice? Ask him what he would like you to sacrifice and to open up your eyes to um, situations of people in need and how you can sacrifice. And if you need to readjust your life so that you've got a little more uncomfortable in there and some more sacrifice. Choose a gospel book to read over the next two months and focus on the life of Christ. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, as we're talking about the life of Jesus, we're going to be looking at the Gospels a lot. So I just encourage you just to pick one of the the books and just focus on the life of Jesus and just really think about Jesus's life and what he's done for us and how he lived his life and the things that he was teaching his disciples, his followers, and even what he said um, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. What was he saying? So really just take some time. Um, I encourage you to uh, focus on the life of Christ over the next month or two as we go through this. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your life of sacrifice for us. And we just ask that you would show us ways that we can trim the fat and sacrifice for you. And what that looks like for each of us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, and show us. Show us what that means. Help us to continue to have the conversation about your ways, Jesus, and assessing ourselves if we're following your way. We love you, Lord. And you are good. Fill us. Stir up within us, Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you again for all the ways that you provide for us so that we can give to others. And I know, Lord, that sometimes... We, I thank you, Lord, that we can give and give, and you give more to us so that we can give and give. And I just thank you so much for that cycle so that we can just keep giving and helping and providing. And we love you, and we trust you for all of that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.